Hey, good morning, church family. Great to see everyone, especially if you're new here. A welcome to this church family. Um, as we get going, I wanted to talk about Mount Kilimanjaro. Mount Kilimanjaro is the highest mountain in Africa. There it is over the savannah. Um, and um, anyone ever been to Mount Kilimanjaro? Okay. Um, I was at a conference this past week where I heard it was one staffer's mission to make it to the very summit of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, the story goes like this. They, they went to REI. They got all the gear. Um, this is a, a mountain that most normal people can climb. You don't need that many special techniques. It's not like climbing Mount Everest. And uh, she remembers getting up that mountain and kind of to her breaking point. She's at a certain point on the mountain where she's asking for prayer. She calls in a lifeline and says, hey, buddy, please, you got to say the best prayer for me because I'm really, I'm not sure if I can make it. I'm breaking down. That person prays. She feels the strength of God on her. And then she does it. She makes it to the summit. However, the summit was not the summit, it was just her summit. She actually didn't go further after the prayer, not much. The summit was still 1,000 feet away, and yet she was content because she had reached her point, and her point was enough. The story reminded me of two letters that maybe you're familiar with, maybe not. The two letters are P-R. Now, now some runners know what PR stands for. If you've ever done CrossFit, you might know what PR is. Uh, Anyone here know the the, the letters, what PR stands for? Yeah, I heard it, personal record. And I love the idea of personal record, right? Uh, Because for me, it's watching basketball. And uh, I can watch uh, Zach Levine from the Bulls do a 360 dunk, and I can appreciate that. He's been giving mad ups. For me, when I touch rim and grab it with authority, that's my PR. Not saying I can do it anymore. I just, I did it once. Yes. I love it when it comes to running a race. Uh, Some know the Chicago Marathon just went on. The winning time was two hours and five minutes. Two hours, five minutes. That's incredible. But I can still have a pastor buddy whose goal is to train, and when he breaks four hours, that's still a good thing. That's PR. PR is relatable when it comes to eating. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to eat clean. Only salads and boneless, skinless chicken breast. We are going to take up the protein and eliminate the carbs. For some of us, PR is that I did not go back for a third cookie, right? It's not that I had salads all day, right? That's my PR. The reason this is so important is we live, maybe like none other, in a world of comparison. You might know of social media, Instagram, and Facebook, and so we can always find what another pastor says is, er. Andy Stanley is famous for saying, you can always find faster, stronger, prettier, funnier, richer. People always have, er. He would also go on to say that there's no win in these comparisons. So what I love about personal record is what it does is it just breaks it all down and says, I know I'm not Zach Levine. I I know I can't run that race. I'm just going to run mine. Based on who I am and what God gave me, that's what I'm going to offer. And if you're taking notes, the first note to consider is this, that God is simply looking for your PR. That's it. 
Um, he, he knows that he gave Zach Levine mad ups, and maybe not the rest of us. He knows he's given uh, Seth and Jenna incredible musicality, uh, maybe not the rest of us. He, he's not asking you to be like anyone else, but again, the best version of who you can be based on what he gave. Scripture reveals this. Uh, consider this passage from Romans. It says, I tell everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think in a way that results in sound judgment. As God has distributed a, can you say this with me, a measure of faith to each of you. And it goes on to say this measure of faith then appropriates itself in different gifts. And so what we know is that we live in a world where, where some have incredibly high mental acumen and some not so much. For some of you on that spectrum, you are PRing when you spent all night studying for biology and you got a C. Way to go. For others of you, if you get an A-, minus, you have yet to PR on that same test. There's others for physicality. Uh, if you train for a while and you finally hit that 10-minute mile, way to go. That's your PR. For others of you, if it's a 6-minute mile, you still haven't made it. For some of you, you're such emotionally intelligent beings. And so others of you, not so much. If you struggle with not being emotionally intelligent, maybe you, handle, you have a lot of rage inside, don't know how to handle conflict. For you, UPR not blowing up at someone and, and storming out. Uh, for you, a silent mouth, that's your PR. For others of you, you're so intelligent that unless you handle a difficult situation with the exact right response that is encouraging, you haven't PR'd yet. And then financially, God distributes different gifts. In this series, some of you might PR by giving $1,000. That would be incredible for you. That, that'd be a stretch. But honestly, some of you won't PR even at $10,000. God is simply asking us to look at ourselves and bring our best. So we are in week two of a series called 10 for 10. Uh, I'm going to remind you of the challenge. It's to give 10% of your income for the next 10 weeks. Now, let me speak very clearly on the topic. 10% is a, a benchmark, but it's not demanded by God. In the New Testament, you are free to give cheerfully from the heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But in a world of freedom, Christians now and back then see it as a good standard in that world of freedom. So it's still a good benchmark to strive for. What is perhaps even more important about this discussion, because some say, Pastor, why are you talking about money in the church? You really shouldn't do that. Um, what's more important is what's at stake. I, I was reminded this week of, of why this series is important. Uh, so this past week I was at an exponential conference hearing a lot of different speakers. I was inspired by one pastor. His name is David Washington. He's a pastor in Roseland, Chicago. So Roseland, I don't know if you know it, is a very poor pocket of Chicago. Median income is about nineteen to 30000 In Roseland, they struggle with gangs and they struggle with drug dealing. They struggle with poverty, all the things associated with that. And this pastor, his story is that he was involved in gangs. He was addicted to drugs. He, he could have been sent to jail until God had his way. But this person who's been changed by God, from drug dealing and gang activity, says, I have to go on a spiritual affront, spiritual warfare into my community and rescue people who are, again, struggling with these things. And so he's talking to gang members. He's sharing Christ, as he mentions, while people are filling their clips filled with bullets. He's talking to drug dealers. 
and telling him to stop. He's sharing Christ in crazy situations. Then I look at the spiritual warfare of Frankfurt. Is ours the same? Not really. In general, right? So, so what do we struggle with? Because as a pastor, I have yet to counsel someone uh, to stop being part of a gang or stop dealing drugs. I, I haven't had that experience yet. Why do we have a serious time for 10? You know, if we're going to really be cognizant of spiritual warfare, we have to talk about money. We absolutely do. Because the devil's greatest spiritual warfare, probably in this neck of the woods, is money and what money can buy and the trappings of money to convince us we're way better than we actually are. The spiritual age of the suburbs in general could be like the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea was described in Revelation this way. Of people who said, you know what, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, this is material wealth. But God says, you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He was talking about spiritual poverty. Can you relate to this on any level? You can judge your heart, you can judge the hearts around you. Are there people that you know who have every material blessing, but if we're honest, are not very spiritual or connected to their Lord? Do you see why we need to talk about money? Because for some, money has been the kingpin for us since the first time we bought a car, bought a house, or went to Disney World. And I have nothing against Disney World, but again, um, we have to fight against what will otherwise vie for our hearts. So you ready to get into the Word? The Word of God today is uh, Jesus at the temple, and he's watching everyone put in different offerings. And he notices someone who didn't give a lot in a worldly sense, but she had just PR'd. Uh, she gave so much uh, from a personal standpoint that it brought the praise of Jesus. He had to pause and tell the disciples what was going on. So our lesson today is from Mark. And uh, sometimes what we do in honor for the word of God who's speaking to us, we just stand. Could you please stand um, as we hear the voice of God through these words? Here it says, uh, Jesus sat down opposite the palace where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the powerful word of God. Before you sit down, could you turn to the person next to you and tell them, By the Spirit you can PR. By the Spirit, you can PR. Get a personal record. Please be seated. Please be seated. Man, I love being in God's house. Do you ever just love being uh, with God and, and hearing from him? Man. And, and while I love being in God's house, w would anyone agree that the church is imperfect? In fact, the raise of hands if you've ever been to an imperfect church. Been to an imperfect church. Hint, you're in one now. <laughs> um, and, and while the church is an imperfect thing, what I do believe is we should never give up on the church. For it's here that we see Jesus. God always intended for us to be in community with other Christians, and it is through community that collectively we carry out the, the, the mission of, of God. 
So again, if you're watching online, if you're just joining us, it is God's intent that you would be part of his body, the church, um, for there is no other option uh, for Christians and there is no other plan of salvation. He's going to use the church to do this. But back to the imperfections. Some of the imperfections of the church have been shown when talking about and handling money. In fact, I remember um, when there was a church that had what was notoriously known as scandal sheets. Do you want to know what scandal sheets are? It's a church who published every member's name and then exactly what they gave. And so this was such a good practice, we implemented it today. Go see outside. Go rush. No. Totally kidding. Now, I can see the upside of this. I mean, there is intrinsic accountability built into the scandal sheet, right? If everyone's going to see what I gave, um, okay, let's, let's, let's bump it up a little bit. But the downside is very apparent, and, and one of the most apparent downsides is that when it comes to proportional giving, you have no idea. And so though you can see exactly what everyone gave, you actually have no idea what they gave based on what God gave them which is by far more important. Here's why that matters. When Jesus is at the temple, this is the practice. They're sitting down by the treasury, and and it's like a visual scandal sheet. They're seeing what everyone is giving, right? It's like instant Instagram. Look what I gave, right? And they're posting it, but like right there. In fact, uh, what I imagine is that you can see rich people come with their posse, ornamental robes, a great big deal. They probably had a trumpeter. Dun, da, 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 hear thee, hear thee. The Zombrowski family's here with six bags of gold. The church is saved, right? Now, that's not far-fetched. Jesus actually talks about giving in this manner. In Matthew 6, look what he says. One of you, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues do. So if you think I was just making that up, this was going on. People were walking into the temple thinking they were a great big deal based on the bags of gold they were given that day. And in dichotomy, you can almost see the widow, right? And I know this is artistic rendering, but you kind of, you know, see her hunched over, right? And and everyone else in their posse kind of like, you know, snubbing her, you know, why is she even here? She throws in the copper coins like, what? What is that? Come on, right? And, and everyone else kind of feeling real good about themselves, and she probably, you know, may, maybe even, well, I wish I could have given more, right? Until Jesus. Don't you love Jesus? He sets the record straight because he's reading the scandal sheet, and he's telling what's actually going on. And Jesus comes to us, and he says, you know, based on what I read, Truly I tell you, this widow has put in, what's this word? Can you say it? More. Now, Jesus, are you bad at math? (laughs) More? What do you mean, Jesus? He goes on to say, everyone else they gave out of their wealth. Uh, the, The Greek here simply means surplus. They gave out of the overflow. They had enough to spare. They're just giving the overflow to God, right? Not even need based, overflow. Look at this. She, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus says she didn't give 10%. She didn't give 20 or 30 or 40. This lady, in her audacity, 
gave 100%. And that's incredible. Now, if you're taking notes, here is then a takeaway. That unless you understand proportional giving, you can either have false pride or false guilt. Unless you understand that it's truly based on what God has given me specifically that I'm running my race, I can either be filled with too much pride, I am a big deal, or too much guilt because I can't bring what I'd want to bring. It, it kind of reminds me of giving in America. So uh, what we can statistically see is what average Americans give. And average Americans in 2017, based on tax reports, to charitable giving gave on average $5,500. Now, there were different brackets of giving, um, and, and here were the different brackets of giving. Um, and we might look at this bracket and say, wow, look at this one. Some people are giving 21364 on average. That's incredible. That's like bags of gold. Whereas we could look at this one and say, oh, my goodness, 1000 compared to twenty-one. Come on. But here's the bigger picture. Who's actually giving more based on God's economy statistically? Isn't this incredible that those on average who get 15000 are the closest to 10%, and the more you get, the further you go. Uh, here we're at maybe 2 or 3%. On average, we're on the 5% range. God is saying, wow, proportionally, I, I can read what others can't. So how does this hit our hearts? I don't know the last time it's been told to you, but following Jesus Christ is an all-in proposition. If following Jesus Christ was like getting into a pool, it is not for us to tiptoe and to check the temperature before we get in. Following Jesus Christ is cannonballing. It is just going for it and seeing what's going to happen. Is it cold? Is it hot? I have no idea because I didn't test it first. I'm just going to go. In fact, Jesus would remind us this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so as God is looking at my heart and yours He's asking again for the PR, not just of money, but of everything he's given, of your time, of your talent, and yes, of money. And when it comes to money, what I know about 10% is that for some, it will be a stretch. It will be a PR. Oh my goodness, that, that was hard. For others, we've been so blessed financially. In America, sometimes you have such, such riches that we dream up of ways to spend money because we don't know what else to spend it on. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience like, I'm just sick of wasting money, and I'm also sick of maintaining things that I don't even use. Or the storage shed filled with things that I haven't touched in years, or that basement, or that attic. So for some of us, 10% is simply a starting point because we're sick of wasting money, and we can use it for a good purpose. When it comes to this whole discussion, what I know is that none of us have completely PR'd. We're all works in progress. And today, God is inviting us to change our mind. We call that repentance. 
to change our mind and say, God, you're worthy. You're worthy of me selling out. You're worthy of me cannonballing. And forgive me for the times I haven't. Because in the spiritual warfare of things, we know the battle is won. Can I tell you about Jesus? He's the conqueror standing on the field. He's not waiting for you to do your part to win your salvation. Salvation is already won. And one of the reasons he asks us to give it all, if you're taking notes, is because it's the only clear reflection of what he truly gave to you because his love went that far. Can, can I tell you, you have yet to experience how wide and long, how deep and high is the love of Christ. You have yet to figure out how much he gave or to realize that in your soul. In fact, someone this past week was wrestling with this concept of how much God loves them. I got one of my favorite texts this week. I wanted to share it with you. It was a text that said this. Is it possible that God sacrificed his only son to show us, prove exactly how much he loves us? And not just to wash our sins away. What I love about this is this is someone wrestling with the love of God. And to answer it, just think of this. Whose arrangement was salvation? It was God's. He could have arranged to swipe a card or to give a gift. He could have arranged many things. But the arrangement was that a father would give his son. And the son would give his life. He would die on a cross and shed his blood so that you would know his love goes that far. In fact, Scripture tells us of the precious gift of God. It says, you know it was not with perishable things as silver as gold. It wasn't 10% that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's yours. And for some of you today, your cannonball moment is to finally... Uh, Drive out every other obstacle for the faith. All the other voices, what the History Channel said, what my friend said, what I heard from Netflix, it's to drown out all those voices and simply believe what Christ is saying. That I loved you that much to die your death. I loved you that much that you might be forgiven. For some of you, your, your pocketbook is his last concern. Your, your soul is his first. You just need to hear he does love you that much. But then others of us who know this need to dwell deeply in the love of Jesus. Need to first think of his sacrifice, for it is only then that we realize, my God is not a mean curmudgeon. My God is not a killjoy. My God is not needy. Rather, he's simply offering a helping hand for those whose souls and hearts were tempted by the lure of money. How good is God? So why is proportional giving so good? Can we continue? I'm going to continue anyway. That's how it works. Why is proportional giving so good? I guess it's a response to what is normally a, a common way of giving. A common way of giving is usually needs-based that tugs on your emotions. A classic case of this, I, I was growing up, and I remember these commercials, right? Of the starving children in Africa, they're adorable, there's a need, let's tug on the heartstrings, and hopefully you'll respond to the need. 
What's more common in our society is dogs. Uh, it tells us where society is going. I have nothing against dogs, by the way. I, I would just permit that people are more important. But anyway, um, this is how people are prompted to give. Pull at my heartstrings, and then maybe you'll open my purse, right? It's a needs-based mentality. Now, there is a place for that. In fact, sometimes when you see someone in need or have an opportunity to give, there is a place for spontaneity, absolutely. Um, but in general, I don't believe this should be the regular activity of a Christian. Rather, what I believe in proportional giving is this, that it requires a plan and also keeps a personal scorecard. What I love about proportional giving is that it is not spontaneous generosity sometimes. It is planned generosity for the rest of my life. When it comes to our household, we're just generous people who trust God. It's the type of household that can look at, at something and, and go back and make a plan to see if they can meet that need. It doesn't need to tug at the emotional heartstrings because it knows it's just a good thing to do. In fact, Paul would talk about this type of giving. He said to the Corinthian Christians, on the first day of the week, make a plan. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Proportional. Saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I love that last part. Paul was saying, I could make an emotional appeal. I could tell you of the need again and again and again. But you know what would be better? If you just plan to be generous. If you plan to meet those needs. What this reminds me of, um, the different metric is of a football team, if you'll permit football. Um, anyone hear of the Alabama Crimson Tide football team? They're pretty good. In the last 10 years, they've won five national championships. Now, they lost yesterday versus LSU, but it was still a great game. Anyway, um, they are perennially a powerhouse when it comes to football. And I believe one of the reasons is because when they play a game, they have a different metric, and they operate by a different scorecard. So here is Alabama, uh, a picture. Uh, coach Nick Saban, here's his philosophy and why he's prized as a coach, why every team wants him. This is his philosophy. He says, you're not really competing against the other team. You're really competing against yourself. Are you really playing as well as you're capable of playing? So when he coaches them, he says, you got to win every down. you got to win every possession. you got to win every run if you're the running back and every catch if you're the receiver. That's how you play this game. And it's because of this philosophy that when they play weaker teams, they don't care the points. They blew out New Mexico State 62-10. to 10. Why? Because for them, it was not about the scorecard. It was not about having enough points. It was about doing the best they could possibly do. You take this conversation to the church. Sometimes in the church of God, the goal is simply, did we meet the need? Do we have enough? Are we in the black? And I would tell you the question of, is there a need and did we meet it, is the wrong question. The better question is this. What could God do through us? Because the world is yet to see someone completely sold out in every degree to the cause of Christ. What could God possibly do in this community? If everyone just said, who cares about the need, let's see what I can do maxing it out. That is a church better by far. A church that I believe will give God a greater glory and maybe even be a greater presence in the community when every Christian simply asks, I don't care about the need, we're going to meet the needs anyway. What could we possibly do together? That's the dream. Because God's that good.
But before we go, we have to ask a question. If you've ever heard this story, maybe this question has come up to you. The question is this. What happened to the widow? Right? The widow just gave everything she had. What's next? Now, before we get into that, I, I do uh, think that if many of us were in that same scenario, we, we just gave everything we had, we might be a little bent out of shape. Right? If you woke up tomorrow and you had nothing and no idea where the next meal was coming from, um, you might be fearful. And I think of how many people live in fear over a paycheck. Uh, some live paycheck to paycheck. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of reading a bank account statement and getting chills down your spine or the cold sweats. You ever been there? Or maybe it was a credit card statement, same experience, or there's like this burning inside. Um, I know because I am one of you. Anyway, and, <laughs> and, and you're like, wow, how's that going to work out, um, right? And fear of having enough is a very common thing, even for rich Americans. Would you agree? Uh, which is why there is some good earthly advice, like Financial Peace University. That's a good system. It'll give you good earthly steps to put in place so that you'll have uh, wise stewardship principles. But I would say if you do Financial Peace University without God, you still have no right for peace. In fact, Jesus told a parable of this, of a, a man who built larger barns to store stuff and then his life was taken. So it's not about getting the things right. But if we put God first, give first fruits, give proportionally, I do believe we'll have a right for peace. Because what happened to the widow? I was thinking, like, what if Jesus went over and it was kind of like she pulled the lever and it was 777 and, like, Jesus, like, like dropping out of his sleeves, like, coins and gold. And she's like, ah. Right? Weird thoughts, I know. I know. I got more. What if, what if, what if it was, like, Cinderella? And so, like, he takes on, like, fairy godmother and with a, like, wave of the wand and she's like, wee, you know, and the chariot goes and, and she's, like, got a castle that she goes back to. Right? He could do it. Now, um, he probably worked through normal means. Um, I, I would assume, this is my conjecture, is that she, he, she met someone who had an extra meal and then that meal was given to her and, and this happened on a regular basis because God usually contempts himself to work through natural means. That's how his usual thing is. Um, I also went, like, what if it was like an Enoch and her Elijah moment where like she was just carried to heaven because of this gift? But then I had a very morbid thought. Go with me here. What if she died? And some of us are like, oh, that would be awful. Let me ask you, would it? If you're in Christ, would it? If I can give two copper coins to see the face of Jesus, <laughs> that is the best trade I would have ever made in my life. All right? See, I have no idea what happened to the widow, but here's what I do believe. She had the right to peace. Because she had just declared with her life, I know who's in control, and I know who's got me, and I am not going to worry. And what's hanging on the other end of this series is not money. It's your heart. And hanging on the other side is this. It may be the gateway for greater peace. That if we take God up on this, it may be then we hear clearly and see, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. It's then that we hear, oh, yes, you feed birds and you clothe flowers. You got me. It's then we realize he not only need, knows our needs, but knows how well to supply them. Because the reality is we don't know what happened to the widow. But sure as shooting, I kind of want to find out. What about you?
Amen.